everyone. Welcome to the Wicked Ones podcast. This is Jen. And this is Tara. And this week we are going to continue our Halloween theme. Yes, we are. I actually, so you did candy, a candy theme last time. I did. Loosely based in candy. Candy. Totally candy fit. Man. Yeah. Totally fit. Not the candy man that I was thinking of. This week I actually picked a movie character that was based in, actually several serial killers were found in this one character, and I'm just going to kind of pick, I picked one, one oh, specific okay. to So like about. a spooky, scary, mm-hmm. or horror movie yes. type of? Yes. So before I tell you what I chose, let's talk about scary movies. Yeah. So what are some of your favorites? I have to know. I know you're not a huge movie person. You don't have a lot of time for it, but you got to have some favorites. I have really bad ADD. So watching TV is really hard for me. I can't sit still. And I don't do much scary because I was traumatized by watching Amityville. Oh, well, how old were you? We were young. It was, it was a birthday like yours where her birthday was in... October and her mom loaded like eight of us in the station wagon and took us to a haunted house in which I ran through a creek getting chased by a chainsaw and then they proceeded to take us home and have us watch Amityville and I've never been the same. I and that right there sounds like your my birthday idea party. Of a good time. <laughs> your birthday party. Yes. Was that, was that third grade? Tour? It might have been my birthday party. Are you? Seriously. Were you there? No. Uh, so, and I think that's the reason also why I don't like candy corn because she had a candy corn cake. But oh, I hate candy corn. Oh, it was oh. like decorated. She loved that's candy corn. She gross. was a super sweet girl, and I mean her family was great. But I won't hold it against her that she didn't like candy corn. I'm just saying yeah. that stuff's nasty. You either love it or hate it, right? (laughs) So my spooky movies or scary movies probably aren't so scary. I'm kind of a fan of maybe like Casper. Okay, okay. And Hocus Pocus. Mm -hmm. We just watched that last night. Um, Ella Enchanted is a little scary. (laughs) (laughs) It's got witches and stuff in it. It does. Um, And I love uh, the old Eddie Murphy, The Haunted Mansion. Oh, yeah. I like those old oh, cheesy yeah. ones. Those are the best. You the just new mentioned ones. all of our staple family oh, Halloween. So Even yeah. Practical Magic. I have to throw that in there. Oh, remember? I saw that one finally yeah. like two years ago when I was sick. Remember? Yeah. It just happened to be on TV. That's a good one, too. So, yeah, I'm more of a PG. Maybe not quite the horror. Yeah, and maybe not quite quite how I, I mean, but my brother and I used to, we loved it. We loved it all. I mean, we watched, anytime we get together, anytime in October, at the fall, we're always watching the old favorites like Alien and It and Halloween, mm. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, things like that. Yeah. But I usually reserve that for when the kids are busy doing Well, now you can't watch that stuff no, anymore because they're really around. Can't. Do you remember when the new It came out and you asked me if I wanted to go see it and yeah. I looked at you like... You and Billy both looked at me and said, you're on you your own. Who are you talking to right now? <laughs> yeah. Never. Oh, I can't wait till... I can't wait to see the next one. I haven't seen it. Is it out yet? Why I don't, don't, I don't so. even think it's out yet. I don't think so. And that's right around when Julia was going to get tested at Northern and someone put a damn red balloon... Oh. Underneath, like the bridge, right, and she, Julia, kept asking me why the balloon was down there, and I was like, "Don't look at it." 
It probably creeped you Don't. out. Oh, it's I a good sh- thing Kelly wasn't with you because she, she would have ran crying. No, sorry, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I do want to give a shout out to Haunting of Hill House. That was awesome. That was the Netflix special. Yes. Yes. My brother said that even scared him. I thought it was amazing. Yeah, that was good. I had to watch it by myself. Billy watched two episodes with me and then he got up and like I think at the end of the second one and he said you are on your own and he just he just left I don't even know where he went I think he just went to the garage I can't handle the one the like serial killer ones like the documentaries I don't know why I can handle that like true stuff mm-hmm. so much better than Jason moving in slow motion but very very fast Oh, I get it. I get it. I know. Some of that stuff I can't watch as much as I used to. I find that now that I have the, the kiddos and we watch the family movies, I look. I probably look more forward to watching those than I do the other terrifying ones. But today, my story is actually based on the notoriously disturbing character of Buffalo Bill from the 90s pop culture film, The Silence of the Lambs. It's a good one. It is a good one. And honestly... I've seen that one. So now you'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I was really hoping. I wasn't sure. Definitely one of my favorites. It's um, it's probably been oh, since college since I've seen this movie, though. And I used to watch it every October. But, you know, it's okay. Like I said, the family favorites are... They grow on me. I love my Hocus Pocus. <laughs> so, um, so today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk a little bit about this character like you, most of our audience has probably seen The Silence of the Lambs, even if they're not huge movie buffs at some point and are familiar with the characters. I personally love Jodie Foster. She was amazing in her role. And of course, Anthony Hopkins. He's probably one of the only actors I know that could make people fall in love with a cannibalistic serial killer. He For did. real. He's no. amazing. He really did. Even if he, it, he was fictitious. I wanted more. I wanted more Anthony Hopkins. He's, He's like awesome. Raymond Reddington. Yes. A terrible man that I love. I love him too. I mean, how can you not? You just kind of go, oh, I know he's, but, uh, you kind of overlook it. It takes a special person to play that kind of character. It does. You know you've made it in Hollywood when you can win the audience over to your side on a character like that. But but today, I'm actually going to focus on Buffalo Bill. Uh, It's always interesting to me when I can find out if characters in books and movies were inspired by real events. And in this case, uh, James Gum's character, who was later dubbed Buffalo Bill in the movie, was based on certain aspects of seven real-life serial killers and their, their characteristics, or MO, if you will. So they were Jerry Brudos. If you remember, he strangled his victims, dressed up in their clothing, and kept their shoes. He was one of those shoe fetish guys. Did you see Mindhunter? No. He was actually a character in Mindhunter. He was one of the criminals interviewed by Ford and Tench. And by the way, if anybody out there that has any poll is listening, can we please get a third season? Please? Because it's amazing. So I you... read something about it, but I don't know what it said. Like it's, it's it's fantastic. There was a headline about Mindhunter and it coming back. Didn't they like... They keep talking they about it. They halted production. It wasn't because of COVID, was it? I don't think so. They He's were, working on something else. I, I think that's from what I heard. And I haven't dug into it. I just remember reading a little bit about how they were actually set to maybe do five seasons, and then they halted, and now they haven't. I haven't heard anything more about the third. That's what I heard. He had to step away. Mm-hmm. I, the guy that plays Ford is uh, the same one that plays Kristoff in Frozen. 
Interesting. Busy. Little fact for you. He's got a little, little here, a little He's there. He's got He's a little singing going on over here, and genres. a little, a little FBI investigative over here. Um, no, but you know me. I love. Um, I've read all of John Douglas's books, and he is amazing too. And he's one of the guys that started the B, you know, the BAU and what it was, and that's mm-hmm. kind of what this is based on. And uh, if you guys haven't seen it out there, please watch Mindhunter because it is amazing. Yeah. Killer across the table. Yes, The Killer Across the Table. There were other books, too. I just think they're really interesting. I mean, it's his perspective on several different cases and what he, how he would have profiled it, and it's it's very interesting. Even if you've heard of the case, you know of the case, Jack the Ripper, Jean Benet, all of these. He actually was one of the, uh, one of the agents called in to uh, interview and talk about the Jean Benet case with at the time when it was when it was an active investigation so he was there he he saw the evidence firsthand and actually spoke with Hmm. the investigators and the you know the parents can we get that on audible maybe Uh, so i can (laughs) listen to it while i'm running right you need to you need to take a take a look into it because it was it was really interesting just to hear his thoughts on all of it and i know people out there that's definitely a rabbit hole case that a lot of people want to talk about so check it out check out his um his thoughts on it it was it was really good um the next serial killer that was also took part in this care in buffalo bill's character was ed gein and he made trophies from the bones and skin of corpses he dug up at cemeteries he also made a female skin suit and skin masks I do believe he was also the basis for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre character, if I remember correctly. I didn't look too far into that, and I believe he is from Plainfield, Illinois, which is a lot of people that live real close to this area. I do think you're right about the Chainsaw Massacre thing. I did Mm -hmm. not know he was from Plainfield. It sounds like somebody that would be based on on that character for sure, um, with everything that happened in that movie, but... He was also based on Ted Bundy, who pretended to be injured, you know, using the arm brace or crutches to lure his victims in and then incapacitating and killing them, which is what he did as well, asking for help, pretending, remember, with Mm -hmm. them. Which is why I can no longer help people and I look like an asshole because I see somebody struggling and I'm like, I'm really sorry, but your trunk is open, so... Can't do it. Can't help you. I know. I know. They've ruined it for... They have. Are people stuck on the side of the road? I'll call the police and tell them, but this car ain't slowing down. Nope. Nope. Kids, look the other way. (laughs) I know. I know. It makes me feel bad, but then I think... I don't know, maybe the bystander effect comes into play. I'm like, well, the car behind me will see him, and yeah. it'll be some We talked about that's exactly that it. Can... You assume yeah. it's someone else is going to take care of Exactly. Exactly. So the next serial killer that was also based on the character was Edmund Kemper, who, like Gum, also killed his grandparents as a teenager and said he did it just to see what it felt like, which is awful. And I don't know that I remembered that about Kemper before I dug into this. And then there was Gary Ridgway, the Green River Killer. Uh, he was still unidentified at the time of the novel's writing, and he, like, um, dumped women's bodies in the river and inserted foreign objects into their corpses. And then there was Alfredo Bali Trevino, a Mexican serial killer who murdered his boyfriend and then decapitated him, also suspected of killing several hitchhikers. Now, they had him listed as one of the one of the people that the character was based on, but I remember stumbling across something that said that 
25 years later, the, the author, the writer, actually came out and said that he is the, he's the one who he based Hannibal's character on. So there's some discrepancy there. I'm not sure if maybe he used a little bit of, of him in both, both characters. So he could have. Maybe even without knowing. Yes. So that could be. I mean, I don't really know the whole full story on that guy. But today, I'm going to talk about Gary Heidnick, who kidnapped, raped, and tortured six women while holding them prisoner in a pit. And two of them died. This is the man that I um, that I wanted to kind of focus on today, even though... Going down the rabbit hole, I maybe wish I would have picked somebody else, but I don't think any of them had very light None of them stories. Feeling they good. don't. They sure yeah. don't. None of them do. As I mentioned, it was a combination of all these evil men that would add to the storyline and enhance the character of Buffalo Bill um, in the movie, who is also trying to create a skin suit from his multiple victims. And so in the movie, they dubbed him, obviously, Buffalo Bill, who would skin his victims and that was one I didn't even talk about but in the movie I believe that's just what they dubbed him because they always have to give serial killers like these Those crazy cool names, names instead yeah. of instead of just dickhead yeah why don't they do that mm. you know just come up with like mm-hmm. the worst thing possible mm-hmm. that would infuriate instead of these like cool names that they think they can go by 100% agree um, so the particularly depraved, sadistic individual that I'm going to discuss, as I mentioned, is Gary Heidnick. I'm not sure if you've heard of him. He created a torture chamber and pit in his basement for the perverse pleasure of beating and raping the women he kidnapped. It was one of the most disturbingly grotesque crimes ever to have happened in Pennsylvania. And damn, it is definitely up there with one of the worst I've had to research and talk about to this point. It's pretty bad. Heidnick was every inch as twisted as the character that cemented his sick legacy in pop culture. He's often referred to as a serial killer, but according to the FBI's standard, he doesn't quite fit the bill, as he had two victims, and by definition, serial killers have three or more. But that's just getting technical. Screw serial killer. We'll just call him the epitome of evil, you know, for for me, for now. Uh, I'd like to quickly cite my sources as well before I get too far into the story. I use Murderpedia, Wikipedia, AppNews.com, 6ABC.com, AllThat'sInteresting.com, and Film Daily. So let's start at the beginning of Gary's story. He was born in 1943 in Ohio. He claims to have been abused by his father for bedwetting, and most likely other things as well. His father was an alcoholic, and his mother was said to be mentally unstable. She would actually later commit suicide by ingesting poison when he was 27 didn't write that down, but I do remember he was 27 when she did that. According to her niece, she couldn't take the abuse any longer. Heidnick's brothers also spent a lot of time in and out of mental institutions as well, and even tried to end their lives on several occasions. So it sounds like their their family life wasn't, wasn't picturesque, as you usually see with most. Maybe they have an underlying, underlying mental illness as well. Maybe they do. Something that nobody could quite pinpoint. Yeah. So, as a kid, he was a loner. That's a common theme, I believe, mm-hmm. as well. Uh, socially awkward, preferred to be by himself. He had trouble even looking into his peers' eyes, like, just looking at people when they talk to him. I mean, you, you see that all the time. I almost feel like that's something on the spectrum of even, like, autism, mm-hmm. correct? Very much Like, so. where you can't... Did, I, I feel like I read that somewhere where they don't like oh, to yeah. look at the, the camera when they're getting pictures taken and they can't really look you in the eye. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe there's something there, as you mentioned. Didn't really think of it until now. But he was very intelligent. 
uh, with an IQ of 130. One source cited 148, but most of them said 130, still very high. Ever since the eighth grade, he had two life goals, to make money and join the army. Uh, it said that he was bored of high school, so he dropped out early and joined the army at 17. But he didn't get the, the kind of training that he was hoping for. It didn't really say what he was hoping for, but according to one source, Charlie Gallagher, a prosecutor for the um, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania office, said he was, uh, he was trained as a medic instead. He believed that when he was stationed in Germany, he disliked the assignment, didn't like being there, so he stopped obeying orders. He then complained of headaches and dizziness and was eventually able to get the doctors there to medically discharge him on full disability after just 13 months in the service. So he was, he was actually diagnosed with schizoid personality disorder. And Charlie believes... Mental illness. Right? Mental illness. Yeah. But Charlie believes he's been faking his whole life. So... He thinks he's faking his mental illness. That's what, that's what this source said. That he believed he was faking his whole life. So, I mean, you can kind of be the judge. After he worked a few odd jobs, he found a way to control others through religion. Heidnik created his own church, so read cult here, if you will, in 1971. The United Church of the Ministries of God. A.K.A. cult. A.K.A. cult. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And he was their bishop, and he held services at his home on Sundays. Um, its conception began with only five people and a $1,500 investment, in which Gary opened an account with to avoid paying taxes. However, business, I mean his cult, picked up quite significantly, and he was able to raise more than half a million dollars. How? That's insane. If Isn't someone it? said, come to my living room for church on Sunday, we would never talk again. Yeah, no, no. I mean, unless it was virtual, right? We'll no. it on TV. Virtual. It has that's, to be virtual now. Well, yeah, so I mean, maybe, you know, if they invited me over now, it wouldn't be. But if someone told me they were... You could were... make your background look like a church. You don't even have to be in your living room. No. You could just say, come to my church. And now you have a picture of the Cathedral of Notre Dame <laughs> right. in your background. And people are like, wow, this that's is amazing. scary. It is scary. So please don't trust people. Um, With their churches and... That have cults. Don't go. Don't go to service in somebody's living room, please. Um, and so, yeah, so half a million dollars. At some point, he started investing in Playboy and drove a Rolls Royce. Because that's what you do when you have a church. Because that's what you do. And I just, you know, I want to take one moment at this junction and show you a picture of his home. There you go. That's his home. And Looks like a fancy church to me. Super fancy. So, I mean, you know, he could have spent his money on an actual church. Well, it's just funny this is his home when he's got a Rolls Royce. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. In 1978, he signed his girlfriend's sister out of a mental institution. And I, I don't know how. Okay, I know you're going to ask me. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know the answer. But he signed her out of the mental in, mental institution. They gave him custody. So he and he had every intention of taking advantage of her. He then imprisoned her in his basement so he could abuse and rape her at will. When he was caught, he ended up spending the next three years in a mental institution himself for his crime. I was sad to see in my research that he wasn't even charged with rape because his victim wasn't of sound enough mind to testify. This was his girlfriend's sister. 
Yes. And where was the girlfriend when the sister was imprisoned? We don't, we don't know any of that. I really, I, mm-mm. she probably didn't even know what was going on. I mean. Yeah, maybe he acted alone. That's insane. There's a lot of this. There's a. To get charged with rape at that time, nearly impossible. No, I know. You hear that a lot. It's yeah. insane how hard you had to work to get someone to be put away for. Yeah. To you were put them, away charges for, for so much less. Quicker than mm-hmm. you were for rape, you know? And I just, I would just have to say that there is a special place in hell for people who take advantage of the disabled. You're gonna, you're, this is a theme that you will see quite a bit in this story. And then he didn't end up in prison, he ended up in a mental institution Correct. because he's faking his mental illness. Yes, so this is what is the controversial. Part of the story. So many people thought he was faking his whole life. Other people said, well, no, he was in and out of institutions 22 different times and tried to commit, you know, tried to end his life. And But did he know it was easier to go to the mental institution than to go to prison? Like, did he know? Did he know? Yeah. And a lot of people think yes, because some of the things that he did in life were so smart. They were so calculated. They were so... You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, These mm-hmm. are the things that were used against against the insanity, you know, yes, theory. So later on, yep. So after he did his three-year stint, he was released in 83 on the supervision of the state mental health program. So they must have really been supervising this guy. What year was it? 1983. Okay. Mm-hmm. So probably like one person would check in every year or something. I have no idea, but you guessed it. After he got out, he was at it again. He had corresponded with a woman from the Philippines for two years. Uh, her name was Betty Disto. And I'm guessing, it didn't say, but I'm sure probably while he was in the mental institution, he was writing this woman. He already needed a plan for when he got out, right? So she then became his mail-order bride, and they wed in 1985. In 86, she left him, accusing him of ass- assault and spousal rape. But the charges were dropped. I mean, you don't really hear many spousal rape accusations, right? I mean... You, Especially not at that time. No. So just the fact that it must have been bad. It must have been just a really bad situation, and she probably came here and she come didn't up have with anything. It. Yeah, absolutely. But the charges were dropped. Um, one of well, my and that's what he wanted. She had nothing or nobody. She, that's exactly what he wanted. He wanted someone he could control. Mm-hmm. Which to me is a calculated decision that he spent time cultivating that relationship to make that happen. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that you are insane or if you can if you can plan things like this. I don't know. That's just my... Well, I think that you can be... You first... I think there's a, just a very... We're using that as loose, loosely for insanity. And I mean, you can plan things just because you're batshit crazy doesn't mean that you can't execute a malicious and. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And it's okay. It's okay to differ. Like, you can think he's nuts, and I can think that he's calculated, I guess, and maybe a little insane, but still complete evil. Like, just, ugh, just. Okay, I'll keep going. I'll keep going, and then we'll we'll talk about it a little bit more. Because we're going to talk about it a lot in this story. Um, 
Okay, but, but one of my sources claimed that the charges were dropped because she failed to appear in court. He later received um, letters asking for child support, but Heidnick was not really known to have any relationship with his son. Jesse was his name. And other sources claim that he may have had two other children with two other women. I didn't dig too deep in that. The only other reference I noted is later on, and I will tell you because I don't want to give anything away, but I will note something else about his daughter later on in the story. Um, but uh, to me, I just kind of felt like, well, they're probably much better off anyway, and hopefully they had happy, healthy, well-raised lives without this creep. Definitely, yeah. A blessing who was involved. I would say. So shortly after, in 1986, he picked up Josefina Rivera, uh, an African-American prostitute who was working a corner near his home. Of course, with the promise of money in exchange for sex, this is, this was the job, she went with him willingly. Afterwards, she recounts that while she was getting dressed, he came out from behind and choked her. He stripped her of all of her clothes and drug her naked, screaming, and chained to the dank basement and torture chamber where he affixed her chains to the wall. Um, she said that he proceeded to beat her with a stick until she subdued and stopped screaming for help. And this seemed to be a theme. Um, this happened with five more women, all fitting the same profile. Poor African-American sex workers that lived within close proximity were all captured in the same manner, kidnapped, choked, tossed in the basement, or in his man-made pits. They all suffered repeated rape and torture as he saw fit on a daily basis. He would play loud music all the time so the women wouldn't know when he was in the house, and he would sometimes even punish them by putting screwdrivers in their ears and twisting. I can't even imagine. Were they down there at the same time together, or was it one at a time? They were down there at the same time together. Josephina was the first, and then came more. Okay. And then they were all... They were all together. Um, at various times because it said that, um, well, I'll get into that a little bit later. I, I do have dates on when everybody was, was kidnapped, but she was taken in 1986. And then it's, it did say too that, um, one of the women actually said that he would even dress up as a police officer pretending that they were saved. He would come down and oh, pretend sick. that they, isn't that awful? This is what I'm saying. There's just all of these random things that yeah. I keep going back to that just, I don't know. So he would, he would pit the women against one another, and Rivera admitted that she, what she felt she suffered from was something akin to Stockholm Syndrome. She basically said that since he was her only contact with the outside world, she mentioned in an interview that she grew to like him despite the fact that he was the worst kind of monster. She started helping him which also later led to many wondering if she was a victim or an accomplice because she started helping him. She knew that if she was good and did what he asked her to do, he would reward her with special privileges such as hot dogs and chocolate and would grant her permission to sleep outside the pit. And you know that if that was a privilege that you were looking forward to, the treatment there was probably, uh, you know, I I mean... Yeah, no, I don't think it's uncommon for there to become a hierarchy among captives. No, I don't think so either. I don't think so either. I do think that that is pretty common, and he would, he just wanted to make sure that they were behaving and doing what he wanted them to do. Um, on one awful day in March of 87, 
he made Rivera fill the pit with water and toss in a stripped electrical cord. The women that were wearing, the women, I mean, they were wearing chains, if you remember, so you can imagine the extent of the electrical current flowing through the pit, the unbelievable pain that it must have caused. It makes me feel sick just thinking about it. He made her do this while he watched until one of his victims, a woman named Deborah Dudley, died from the extensive electrocution. Uh, Rivera said that Gary's reaction upon seeing the body floating in the water face down was, and I quote, yeah, she's dead. Now I can go back to having a peaceful basement. So that was his reaction to that. Very heartfelt guy. Very heartfelt. He said this, um, he said this because Deborah was kidnapped at the age of 23 in January of 1987. And ever since she had come to his house of horrors, she put up with one hell of a fight and questioned his authority every chance she was given. Which, good for her. That would have probably been me. I mean, I would have tried to take the bastard down too. There's no way I would have gone out without a fight. No way. Was so you? she was just like a troublemaker, according to him, because she wasn't complacent. She, yeah, she wasn't, you know, subdued and willing mm-hmm. to do whatever he asked. So good for her. Oh, made that poor woman rest in peace. And then his next victim, Sandra Lindsay, like many of the followers of his supposed church, as I would find out upon more research, was also mentally challenged as well. It's disgusting enough that he did these things, period, but to take advantage of the mentally disabled the way that he did on several occasions, I hope there is an especially torturous place in hell for this man. I just... Right? Yeah. (sighs) He deserves to live his days down there getting back 100 times worse than what he gave to these women when he was alive. And yes, that probably makes me one of those people that believe in an eye for an eye, but sometimes I do think it would be a just punishment. Sometimes, right? In some instances, I think, you know what they should do? (laughs) Everything that this guy did, he should have done to him. What do you think I think about that? Oh, I think you probably (laughs) agree. (laughs) I think you probably do. So this is what I could find about Sandra. And I will tell you that I did try to find more information on the victims. It was not incredibly easy. Um, It just just wasn't. Uh, There wasn't a lot... um, you know, to, to find. I mean, I think some of these women were just doing everything they could to survive, to feed their families, to help their families, just to kind of make ends meet. Sandra was actually friends with Heidnick. She would tell her family that he was a nice man, that Bishop Gary was uh, going to take her and her friends on an adventure. He used to buy them dinner at McDonald's all the time, which I'm sure was a highlight. Mm-hmm. The day after Thanksgiving, she left home to go to the store and she never came, she never came home. Uh, her family actually knocked on his door and questioned Gary about her disappearance, but he denied seeing her. And not long after, he put on gloves, he made her write her mom a Christmas card, handed her a $20 bill to put in there along with it, and then I read later, too, that he actually drove all the way to New York and mailed it to her family so that they would now believe that believe that she had left of her own accord. And it worked, because that's what the detectives thought, too. They saw the notes... They stopped looking for her. And that's another point of calculation. He put on gloves. He knew he couldn't get his fingerprints on this stuff. Mm -hmm. He drove to another state and mailed this letter. No, he's very smart. Very smart. So she was only 24 when she was taken. The surviving women recount that since she was not mentally stable, she couldn't withstand the torture as well as they did. So he put her on punishment for that. 
He starved her for days, and then when he came back down to give her food, finally, he released her chains and she fell to the ground. Um, sadly, she had already passed away from starvation and asphyxiation from the chains. When she was up, she just couldn't hold her body up. <sighs> it's hard to talk about. As if this wasn't already heartbreakingly awful enough, what he did next made me want to gag when I read it. It was so awful, I almost cut it out, but I think it speaks to how evil and fucking twisted this man really was. And I and I just think that there's there needs to be... There needs to be every point because of there was so much controversy, right? Mm-hmm. There was just so much. And maybe this is even more to the fact that he was insane. I don't know. But at one point in between the rapes and torture, when he would allow them to watch TV, one of the women claimed that she was so hungry when she saw a dog food commercial, she mentioned that it actually looked good enough to eat. This supposedly enraged Heinrich at the time. Or Heinrich. Heidnick at the time. And... He told them that they would get what they deserved soon enough. And when Sandra died, he took her body up the stairs, dismembered her, cooked her ribs in the oven, boiled her head on the stove. What a nightmare. Uh, The neighbors actually complained of the smell to the extent that the police were called, but he claimed that he must have absentmindedly burnt a roast, and there was no further investigation. This is like horror movie material. It is. It really is. I mean, I'm sure there were other awful twisted characters that had some basis in this too but he then supposedly ground up part of her remains in a meat grinder with dog food and fed it to the women in his basement so he not only tortured and raped them but made them cannibals as well which is just there are no words for that did they know they said they did he put the rest of the remains in the freezer and marked them as dog meat i'm gonna note some sources claim that this was an account that this account was just made up to support his defense of insanity later on. They actually there was an there was a source that said that, and then there was something else that I had read a little bit later on saying that investigators went to the home and they tested all of the appliances and they couldn't find evidence of human sure. remains or anything like that. So it remains to be it's kind of one of those things: did it happen or did it not happen? But there was another witness, um, a mentally challenged church-going follower of Heidnick's, claimed that he thought he was his best friend. It was a man by the name of Tony Brown. Um, it was said that he helped Heidnick on this day with the body, and he even helped torture some of the women on occasion. Being mentally challenged, Brown was painted later as yet another victim of Heidnick's, who was manipulated and controlled. Sadly, he fit the pattern of exactly what Bishop Gary was looking for. So, not only was he this sadistic son of a bitch, he enlisted others that weren't of even sound mind enough to help him in all these things that he did. So I should also note as well here, kind of in the, just trying to find as much as I could on this aspect, Jacqueline Askins, another of the victims kidnapped at 18 in January of 87 as well, said, and I quote, if it wasn't for me eating her or eating the dog food, I couldn't be here today. So, Believe what you will, but I'm not putting it past him to have done everything they claimed he did. So, yeah, so you just kind of, whatever you think. So remember Rivera, the first woman who was kidnapped and who helped Heidnick, and um, he he would help torture, or she would help torture, and she actually, she actually also helped procure some of the women for him. And one day in March, 
the 24th to be exact of 1987. After assisting him with abducting um, another victim, Agnes Adams was her name, she talked him into allowing her to leave his side for just a few minutes to see her family. At the time of her own abduction, Rivera was 25. She had three children when she disappeared. A five-year-old, an 11-month-old, and a six-week-old premature newborn. Apparently, he trusted her enough because she helped him enough that he said, did you? Mm -hmm. That he said, okay, go ahead. I'll wait for you at the gas station. So he waited in his Cadillac at the gas station, but she never returned. Instead, she ended up saving herself and the remaining women. She ran to the nearest phone and dialed 911. I will note that I did read in another source that she actually went home first and tried to explain what had happened, and they thought she was crazy. So she just ran to the nearest payphone and called 911 and got them there and... I'm sure she looked like a lunatic trying oh, to say... Oh, I can only imagine. Well, can you imagine what kind of condition she was in? I'm sure. They probably thought she was on drugs and she oh. was... Right? I mean... Can we leave can this you... lady and go where she yeah. says? Thank God they did. Thank God they did. So when the police arrive, they get to the gas station and sure enough, there's this guy waiting in a Cadillac, just like she said, right? So here's Gary. They arrest him on the spot. And then... Oh, yeah. God help those men back then and women who had to go and raid his home and see what they saw, right? Oh, my God. So it reeked a high heaven of oh, death and decomposition. Oh, you, you can't. I mean, it's just, I'm sure it was, I'm sure it was god-awful. They, I mean, the women were found chained down there, lying on mattresses. I guess they had yelled, you know, we're saved, finally, we're saved. And there was even mention that they, they couldn't, they couldn't even, like, take them upstairs right away. They had to go back and get bolt cutters to get them out of the basement. Well, they were probably so weak, too. They probably couldn't even Oh, I'm sure. Move. Could you imagine? Mm-hmm. They're so frail. I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, no. They, yeah, they found what many news stations in Pennsylvania dubbed the House of Horrors. And exactly the state that you can imagine that we talked about, along with 27 pounds of body parts in his freezer. Most of the women rescued had been in that basement nearly four months, one other woman that was meant, um, that was mentioned was named Lisa Thomas. She was 19 and had been missing since December 23rd, 1986. I didn't find a whole lot on her, but I definitely wanted to mention her because she was one of his victims. So this was definitely one of the most gruesome crimes ever to be tried in Pennsylvania or anywhere. I believe our parents and grandparents remember this awful story unfolding. Um, right? I mean, I'm sure they do. They have to, yeah. <sighs> So, you know from my earlier mention that the defense tried to get him off with an insanity plea, but the judge at the time, Lindsay Abrams, was assigned to the case, and she wasn't buying it. She wasn't buying the insanity defense. She said, and I quote, I very quickly realized in my mind he was faking to affect mental illness. So, again, you hear somebody else that believes he was faking it. Mm -hmm. So, he was convicted in July of 1988 and given the death penalty. He attempted to take his own life the following January, and in 1997, his family tried unsuccessfully to get him off of death row. And that's where I didn't write it down, but um, I do remember reading that his daughter, I believe she was 21 at the time, had tried to um, tried to get him off of death she row. Tried to get him exonerated. Mm-hmm. But he didn't want, um, he actually didn't want to get off death row. I mean, in his mind, he, he said... He wanted to die. He wanted to die. And he figured if an innocent man was put to death, then maybe that would stop the death penalty for good. That's what he said. So, 
it was against his wishes and they wouldn't they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't reverse it. So however, July 6th, 1999, he was given a lethal injection um, on that day and he was in fact the last person to be executed in Pennsylvania. No one really knows how much the people of his so-called congregation knew because of his followers just kept showing up for church on Sunday. They just kept showing up. Uh, never really says how that went. I'm guessing they were probably confused and eventually stopped coming to his house. And who knows if... if Did they not see the police? Maybe, but I like, mean, Isn't there police tape and it's on the news? I mean, this is, what, 1989? Yes, This yes. isn't... I know. Yeah. They keep showing up. I, I, they just so... kept coming to church. They were... Die hard. They were faithful. They were. Um, to a fault. To a fault, yeah. I mean, hopefully someone helped them. Uh, I don't know. But it also said that he preyed on these people who didn't really... Maybe they didn't understand. Maybe nobody was telling them because this wasn't a story they wanted to tell them. Maybe they were... But then... Uh, don't let your... Don't let your mentally, mentally challenged brother or cousin or uncle go, go to, to church at somebody's house. That is abducting and torturing yes. women in a basement. Because you know he had services on Sunday and they were in the basement. Yeah. That, well, they I'm sure there. the smell was there. Oh, I'm sure. It was. I'm sure oh, there had to be signs. One of his people were helping him. Yeah. I don't. I don't know either. I don't know. It's a weird... It's very strange. Unless they somehow brainwashed them. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, Manson had his he whole... And... It's I, not... He's not the first one. I mean, or the last. What, what you're he saying. Sh- he sure isn't. So as I mentioned, let's come full circle. He When he was still in prison, um, full circle of what led me down the rabbit hole, checking out the movie Silence of the Lambs, and if anybody had any connection to real-life serial killers, and yes, this is what I came across. So, um, so that movie cemented his evil legacy forever in pop culture with the character known as Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs. One interesting fact that I noted was that it actually, uh, the movie came out February 14th, 1991. So it was Valentine's Day. I kept thinking that maybe it was sometime around October, but they launched it on Valentine's Day. So. Yeah, that's very quick. It is very quick. If he was just mm-hmm. found out in 89. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it was, it was very quick. I mean, and maybe that's why they used part of, part of his MO in this movie, because it was something that was... It no. just happened, and people were talking about it, and they thought, oh, let's do that. Let's put a basement torture chamber and a pit in this movie, and people will, you know, they'll know, they'll get the nod. They'll know where it came from. So, so yeah, that that is the story of Buffalo Bill and the crazy serial killers and killers that he was that he was based on and you know I wanted to actually show you some of the pictures too oh I'm gosh. just gonna get the this was a picture of and you can tell people what you're thinking here but that was a picture of the basement area where the pit was this was Josephina and then actually I was very happy to see this is her today oh nice 
yes, a very good picture. Um, this is a picture of all six of his victims. And this is, this is Gary. You know, one other interesting thing that I did, I didn't put in my notes, but I do remember looking at was his neighbor thought it was really odd the way that they had him dressed at trial. She said that his lawyer had come around and she made a mention, you know, hey, why do you have him looking like this at trial? He's usually, she's, from her, she said he's usually well-dressed, clean-shaven, good-looking man, right? The right. neighbor her, her neighbor, yes. And she made a mention that he was dressed up to look like Manson. He had like that, this, I wish I, I wish I printed out a picture of him at trial. He had like this long hair and this Hawaiian shirt and Ugh. khakis and just looked. That's gross. And apparently the lawyer had said, yeah, isn't it wonderful? Because they were trying to get, they were trying mm -hmm. to make him look a certain way and get him. To, to get a certain to conviction. Get, absolutely. Which I know they do. I know they have to do, but. It was just all of these little things. I couldn't imagine defending a monster. No. Somebody's got to do it. Everyone has a right. No, I know. But I couldn't imagine defending someone that you knew. That you knew did. I mean, he had a things. torture chamber in his basement. Come on. He was obviously guilty of. Something very horrific, whether it be a little horrific or a lot horrific. Correct. I mean, I, I you can kind of see it both ways. If you didn't know the story at all, to be told from an insanity point of view, and then to be told from a point of view of, here was a man who invested in the stock market, who took $1,500 and figured out a way to start a church and amass half a million. What was he diagnosed with again? Schizoid personality disorder. Okay. Yeah. So. We'll have to look, up, look that up. But yeah. doesn't that, isn't there a split there then? Like. Maybe. The person who's like intellectual and then the person who's just. Maybe, but at what point does the intellectual, like normal person take over and say, But just because hey. you're, no, no, I think this is where you and I have the disconnect. Okay. Because just because you're smart doesn't mean that you're not fucked up. Oh, no, no, no. I'm definitely not disconnected there. I, I believe that, Do you that know too. what I mean? Yeah, so, I like, do, He's I do. super smart, but he can still use his super smart for evil. I guess. But he just seemed so calculated in the things that he did and planned and carried out, and he did it consistently. Oh, I agree. But I still think he was mentally ill. You would have to be in some capacity mm -hmm. to... Absolutely. Mm -hmm. To do the things that he did. You would have to be. But... And just, like, the history with his family. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah. everyone's in and out of the mental institution. But then what do you do? I mean, what do you do at this point? Do you put him... What would he... If he had gotten insanity, would he be out at some point? Or do you think that, that he would have been... I don't think he was ever safe to walk the... No, no. I mean, you don't want this guy back on the street. No. And I think that that's... I agree with you in the fact that he got what he deserved. The, he was he was evil. He might have been smart and he probably wasn't wired right, but mm -hmm. that combination made him evil. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it did. 
It did, and people are split all over. Some people said, yeah. no, no, he he was of sound mind. And a lot of people said, no, he wasn't. And there were psychiatrists that, did, that agreed he was insane. So he was either insane or evil, a combination of both, I don't yeah. know. But that that is the story, and I'm very thankful that he is not here today no, I'm to do these things that one of his victims was so incredibly brave <sighs> absolutely and uh, if it wasn't for her who knows if what if this would have gone on for years or if he ever would have been caught does it say what his reaction is towards her does he ever i didn't see anything on that i That'd do know that there were four witnesses that were in a separate room for his execution like, separate from the witnesses of the execution, like, they were there to be able to see it and view it and kind of get their yeah. own sort of sense of just Well, like, family members, other, other people are allowed to witness, correct? Yeah, correct, yes. So, was and she one of them? Yes, yes. I believe she was one of them. I know Askins was one of them. She said she wanted to make sure he saw her face, but from what I had, ri- from what I had read, they said that he didn't even acknowledge him. He just... He didn't look at anyone. He just came in and sat down and just was in his own little world. Yeah, he was able to peace out the way he wanted to. the way he wanted to. He didn't give anyone what they wanted. Mm. So, yeah. I think they just wanted to be seen. Mm -hmm. No matter what, he knew knew that they were there. Yes. So, I know, right? Very controversial. No, I, I mean, I like the controversy. It's very controversial, I know. It's, I'm sure I, people will disagree with me, and that's okay. I don't think there's any right or wrong. We all know that he was not right. No. No, definitely not. That was an evil... I don't know if I'll ever look at that movie the same now. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot more exciting when you don't know the real Yeah, when it. you don't know the real story, and then you're kind of like, oh... oh. Yeah. Imagine being the person who writes it and plays I don't know, but Ted Levine playing that character, I wonder if he regrets it at, at any point because of the things that he had to do. I think I don't think so. I think he was pretty proud of the things that he yeah. came out with that character because he took a huge risk, but he he did a great job of playing a twisted psychotic serial killer. Yeah. He did he they had a really good cast for that movie. Oh, you couldn't absolutely. have come up with a better no, I group agree. of people to it was, make. I mean, it's an excellent movie. It's just oh. now when you when I can see the real faces and you know, it just it know. changes your perspective a little bit. But it thank does. you for educating me more in that way. I appreciate it. And well, that's what we try to do, right? We try to educate a little here and there, give people hopefully enough education on certain things here and there that will keep them safe. What do we have next week? Next week, it'll be me. And I'm continuing this treacherous, horrific Halloween theme. Oh, but It's a dark Halloween, It's a dark one. It won't be like this. And if it is, because <laughs> so many of them are, I will try to bring some, some light to you all yeah. as well. Yeah. Like I said, we're growing, so maybe next time we'll do some kind of flip the script and we will bring you something a little lighter to end your podcast uh, listening pleasure. All right. Until next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.